Lord God, as we open up your word together now, please help us to position the the attitude of our hearts to treasure the Bible as sufficient for life and godliness, to treasure it as clear in, in all the big ideas you tell us, to treasure it as authority from you and to treasure it as necessary for us to know you, to know your will and to know your ways. Help us to sit under your word this morning. Amen. Have you ever regretted not being ready for something? Have you ever regretted not being ready for something? Things like a a test or a presentation or, and, and it, that, that was all too real down the back there somewhere, <laughs> uh, an interview, or a toddler about to jump on you while you're trying to take a nap on the couch, uh, or those household maintenance jobs that need uh, doing as the seasons change. Cleaning the gutters is one of those jobs that I tend to procrastinate on. Uh, it seems to be one of those jobs that just keeps popping up again and again. It's winter is coming, the winter rains are coming, clean the gutters out. The summer bushfire season is coming, clean the gutter out. It's spring cleaning time, clean the gutter out. It's like autumn is the only break I get from this one. And, well, I let it go for a little bit too long on cleaning the gutters in winter last year. I didn't clean them, and the next thing I know, water is, is overflowing into the eaves and leaving these wet, mold-spore-inducing patches under our, our patio and carport. And so I should have been ready. As I searched for the, uh, the, the mold-killing bleach spray and scrubbing brush to try to fix this problem, I regretted not being ready. I didn't really know that cleaning the gutters was that important. I thought you could kind of get away with it a bit more. Uh, I didn't realise it was a big deal until I regretted not doing it. And this passage today is, is kind of about that. Uh, It's uh, something that we don't know is a big deal, and we need to know about it. Because we want to be ready rather than regretting not being ready. There's a reality that we can't see, we can't perceive with our five senses, but the truth is it's a reality that we need to know about and be ready for. It's the very real reality of spiritual evil in this world and present in our lives that is bent on our destruction. It's not something we think about a lot. But because of that, we we need to ask questions like, how do we be ready to protect ourselves in the Christian life? How can we be spiritually strong and therefore live spiritually long? We almost all know someone who's at one stage claimed allegiance to Jesus, professed faith in him, and has now fallen away, walked away. Could that happen to me? How how do I make sure that I don't one day walk away from Jesus? So that's what we're talking about this morning, being being strong in the Lord, or or being ready and steady, Uh, or in the words of the Lion King, which should come up here, uh, be prepared. That's just to uh, let you know the song, the song that has been stuck in my head this week. 
Uh, our text is Ephesians 6, uh, 10 to 20. It's the final uh, section of Ephesians as we come to uh, Paul's conclusion and the end of our series in Ephesians. We're going to see three things. We're going to see, firstly, the fight. That doesn't need to stay up any longer. Yeah, cool, thank you. <laughs> the fight, uh, the, the armor to put on and the armor to take up. So first of all, the fight. Have a look with me at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. As Paul comes to the conclusion of his letter, a letter that summarizes this massive gospel story and how it reshapes every part of our own stories, a letter that highlights God's grand plans to bring about the new humanity, beautifully diverse and yet unified in Christ, with his church as the centerpiece of that plan. That is what he has been showing us in the past five and a bit chapters. And so he says, finally. Uh, this isn't just a, a classic essay ending sort of, uh, so in conclusion, uh, the word he's using carries the idea of now for the remaining time or from now on. Uh, it's in light of God's grand gospel plans uh, in you and through you, the community of his people, be, be this, be strong in the Lord. It's not so much a command to do something, but an encouragement. More literally, he's saying, be strengthened in the Lord. There's that phrase, in the Lord. Paul has actually used the phrase, in Christ or in him or in the Lord, 35 times in the, the letter to the Ephesians. Have you been counting over the past few weeks? The, the letter to the Ephesian church has been just soaked in this teaching that in his grace, God has united us with Jesus, made us one with him. And because of our union with Christ, we have every spiritual blessing. So he says, be strengthened in your grace-given rebirth into intimate life with your maker. What do we need the strength for? Verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There's that reality that we're, we're generally so unaware of. We are warned of, of the devil's schemes. And he's not alone. It's not just this one spiritual being. There's the powers of this dark world, the, the, the forces of spiritual evil. And Paul seems to also recognize in here that, that all too often these, these forces of spiritual evil are, are pulling strings and, and influencing and manipulating behind the scenes amongst earthly rulers and authorities as well. Governments, institutions, social structures, all too regularly around our world, influenced by the powers of darkness. The devil's schemes and plans to destroy are many. So be alert and be aware, be ready, because the devil is legitimately powerful. And the devil is committed to your destruction. So Paul says, so from now on, be ready and steady, standing firm, not easy to knock over. 
Have, have we got any Lord of the Rings fans amongst us? All right, cool. A few. Oh, not as many as I thought. All right. I confess, I know this is an anathema, but I have watched the movies. I haven't read the book. Okay, there I said it. Uh, the Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. I remember that movie was, it felt like the whole thing was just this sort of building up to this one, one battle. Uh, there's, there's Helm's Deep. They know the battle's coming, and there's this castle, here's a picture of it, on, uh, sort of on the side of a mountain. And it felt just like the whole thing was building up, getting ready for this big battle that they knew was coming. And it was going to be fierce. It was going to be epic. They thought they were going to lose. And so the more fierce you think the fight is going to be, the more prepared you work to be for when that battle comes. If you know there's a battle coming, then you get ready for it. So we are called to be ready and steady because spiritual evil is real and it schemes against us. So we've seen what the fight is. But it's important to notice the clarity that Paul wants to give to also what the fight is not. Be careful not to get the wrong enemy, he seems to be saying. As if to say, as if Paul's saying, I know the tendency of the human heart. I know how quick we are to tribalism, to, to us and them, to division and conflict and fight with those who are different to you. So know your enemy. And verse 12, it's not against flesh and blood. It's not against flesh and blood. In chapter 2, he has told us that God has broken down the dividing wall of hostility between people groups. So don't rip each other apart. He wants to bring that clarity. That's exactly what the forces of spiritual evil want to see happen, would love to see us rip ourselves apart. You are weakening our corporate strength in the Lord when you whinge and speak negatively about church life. When you set up faction mentality, you, you weaken our corporate strength. When you, when you hold on to, to bitterness or, or complaining, when, when we don't bear with one another, as Paul commands elsewhere, when we don't just let the little things go amongst our serving teams. Paul says your fight is not with flesh and blood. He wants us to know the danger of the fight and who it's with, with the forces of spiritual evil. And to know that they, they scheme against us. Sometimes to get us to fight with each other. We are strong in the Lord when we corporately take the responsibility to protect the unity of his diverse church. Not only are you loved unconditionally, but you are strengthened corporately. Church, we are strengthened corporately. And so knowing the reality of the fight, we are called to be ready and steady. So how do we do that? Uh, the second thing to see in this passage, the armor to put on. Through all this armor metaphor, we, we are going to be taught that we are ready and steady when, when we wrap ourselves in the grace of God at work in our lives. When we wrap ourselves in the grace of God at work in our lives. Or to put it another way, when, when we position ourselves in the grace of God, when we position ourselves uh, physically, mentally, and spiritually, when, when we position ourselves physically, when we, when we run from sin and pursue God's good designs for right living, when we position ourselves mentally, learning, growing and understanding, memorizing, surrounding ourselves in the truths of Scripture, 
and positioning ourselves spiritually when, when we build up our confidence in the, the freedom of the gospel and confidence in the unconditional, extravagant love of God towards us broken people. We are ready and steady when we wrap ourselves in his grace. Let's see it in the passage. Let's see it in the metaphor. Uh, verse 13. Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Here's what we're going to see. In concluding his gospel-saturated letter, Paul is brilliantly intermingling God's grace towards us and his means of grace to us, resulting in a powerful defense against the forces of spiritual evil. What I mean by God's grace towards us, it, it, that's his, his unconditional love and action and free choice to, to freely give us all the blessings of salvation. And his means of grace to us, that's the, the habits, the actions, the practices that God uses to give us more of his grace and to manifest more of his grace in our lives. His concern is that we should, should stand to follow Jesus all the days of our lives and never walk away. So how do we wrap ourselves in the grace of God at work in our lives? He's got three things to put on, and then we'll see three things to take up. So the put on things, the, the emphasis here seems to be, though not exclusively, about how we live, how we put on the reality of Christ displayed in our lives. And so he tells us to put on the, the, the belt of truth, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. The Roman soldier belt that Paul uh, most likely had in mind was a, an undergarment sash. And so underlying, underlying all of our spiritual defense is truth. The, the belt held up the, the soldier's tunic and, and it also held his sword in place. And it made sure that he was unhindered, he was, he was ready, prepared for action. And so the idea here is really one of, of, of truthfulness. Uh, the, the, the idea here could be almost faithfulness as well. It's a picture of, of acting with uh, sincerity and, and integrity, of someone who is living truly, uh, someone who's sinking what they believe with how they live. And so the first item of armor, be people who, who value truth and integrity. It's the opposite of hypocrisy, isn't it? The second one, the breastplate of righteousness, the second item to take up. Verse 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place. And we know that ultimately that righteousness is not our own. We are, we are made righteous. Paul's told, told us back in chapter 4, verse 24, to put on the new self created to be like God uh, in true righteousness and holiness. And created is, is, is passive. It, it's done to you by someone else's initiative, but by God's initiative. Created to be righteous, to be like God. And yet also Paul is, is saying to put on this new self. He's also had, earlier in the letter, a whole bunch of very practical, very tangible, specific actions in mind to put on that righteousness. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. 
We're told in 2 Timothy 3.16 that, that all Scripture is, is given uh, for, for training in righteousness. Uh, pursuing God's designs for right living, in other, way, in other words. And that pursuit will protect us like a, like a metal breastplate, protecting the chest and all the vital organs. The third item to pick up, feet fitted with readiness. Verse 14, stand firm then, verse 15, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. This is lives of service. This is reaching out to people in love with the saving hope of the gospel message. It's, it's the, the, the gospel of peace that reaches across every cultural barrier or social divide, prejudice, boundary and border. It's, it's a passion to take the gospel to all peoples, especially those not like you and who don't yet know the saving, life-giving hope of the gospel message. Are you ready and willing to boldly declare the gospel passionately and often, feet fitted with readiness? I was once on a camping a Bucks weekend away for a good friend of mine, and we were pretty much all Christians there, so it was good. It was good, wholesome fun. Uh, but do you know what happens when, when scientific curiosity uh, meets unsupervised 20-year-old guys camping? Experiments with fire happen. Uh, now, we all know what happens if you take a, a paper cup and you throw it into the fire. What happens? It burns up. But, I hear you asking, what happens if you carefully take that paper cup Fill it with water and only burning yourself slightly, place it upright into a fire. What happens then? I'm sure nobody's ever figured this out before, so it was our duty really to test this. Um, so this was fascinating, I've got to say. And this experiment was thoroughly worth doing. Kids and teens, don't try this at home. Adults, try this at home. Uh, the room that has, has no water touching it right at the top of the cup, that burns up straight away, as you'd expect. But the rest of the cup sits there totally fine, not burning up, holding the water. The, the rim only continues to burn. You, you can try this out. I'm, I'm telling you the truth. The rim only continues to burn once the water hits boiling point and then starts to evaporate. And then as the water goes down, the rim slowly burns down. So a paper cup full of water won't burn until all the water is gone. So fill your life up with God's water. This is his armor. Wrap yourself in the things of God. And, and even if a day of evil comes where the, the forces of spiritual darkness maneuver and manipulate you right into the middle of a fire, you will not burn up. Notice this is a list of, of largely positive things. Uh, the, the very best defense against the forces of spiritual evil is pursuing the good things of God. It, it's not a don't-do list. If we're struggling with temptation, don't simply say no, but say yes to the opposite. If you like, go back to chapter 4 and 5, and what you get, what we've seen, is a practical list of things to, to put off, to say no to, but things to put on, to, to pursue the opposite, to say yes to. The fight is real. Stand strong and last long. 
put on truth, put on righteousness and a passion to take the gospel out to all peoples, actively wrap yourself in God's grace. And there's three things to take up as well. The emphasis now turns from how we should live to where we should place our confidence, from displaying to claiming the reality of Christ in our lives. The armor to take up. Be strong in the Lord by seeking to position your confidence in the love of God towards you. Verse 16. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So it says, take up, place your confidence in. And the first one, the, the shield of faith. The Roman shields were almost full body size. They're about uh, 1.2 meters tall, 0.7 meters wide. Uh, they, were, they were solid wood coated with leather on the outside. And they would soak that leather in water so that when flaming arrows came and stuck into it, they would be extinguished sitting in, in all the wet leather. It was a very effective defense. Uh, the image of God's people, uh, uh, of God being a shield for his people, is a really familiar one from the Psalms. It's, it's all through it, this image. And so there's the shield of faith is a, is a shield of confidence in God's love and grace. And it's an effective shield. It's interesting to note also that if you remember your, your high school history, the, the Romans used to lock these shields together as well to, to present a, a corporate defense against an attacking enemy. And, and it too was very effective. And so let's us lock our, our shields of faith together and speak encouragements of faith and grace into each other's lives. Faith, confidence in God's love toward us is very effective against the flaming arrows of the evil one. In Revelation, John refers to, to the devil, to the evil one, as the accuser. And the accusations do come, don't they? Your belt of truth is in tatters. Where's your integrity? Your breastplate of righteousness? What a joke. Your feet aren't even ready to take the gospel to your friends, let alone the end of the earth. And so you say, I'm meant to mount a defense with these things. I can't. I just can't. Notice we only have to stand. God's already put you in the right spot in Christ. So stand your ground. Stand firm. We don't need to invade and push forward. We don't need to advance just stand, because the victory has been won by Jesus. Remember where this passage starts? Be strong in the Lord, not in your own ability to do these things. Be strong in his mighty power. These are things that as much as we are called to live them out, ultimately God has done them for us. Jesus has done it for you, so put your confidence in that, in the face of accusation of sin, that's your shield of faith. God can't forgive you for that one. Shield of faith up. Surely God can't forgive me again, not, not after all these times and all these years. Put up your shield of faith. God can forgive most sins, but not that one. Put up your shield of faith. Because your confidence is in what Jesus has won for you. 
And so you stand with your shield of faith dependent on the source of your faith on Jesus. Romans 8 verse 1 tells us there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jumping down to verse 37 of that chapter. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we also have the helmet of salvation. Back in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the, uh, and the, sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The, the helmet of salvation, it, it's, it's the reality of our salvation and it powerfully protects a very important part of us, our heads. And God's saving power is our only defense against the forces of spiritual darkness, which are more powerful than us, but nothing compared to him. And so with the helmet of salvation on, we can hold our heads up high. We are, we are saved and we will make it to the end we will stand firm. We will persevere, persevere because God has saved us. So church, hold your protected head up high with the certain hope of your salvation. Jesus is coming back. He has done it. He has won the victory. He will return. He's won and we are on his team. Paul's actually been borrowing most of, of his imagery here. Uh, he's actually borrowing it from the book of Isaiah. Uh, which sections of Isaiah are here, you asking? Uh, the, the prophecies of the Messiah. The Messiah, God's promised king who would restore this broken world, conquering God's enemies and bringing victory. Who we now know is Jesus. Isaiah prophesies of this coming king. See if you can notice the parallels in a few verses coming up on the screen. Isaiah 11, verse 5. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash around his waist. That faithfulness, you could read truthfulness. Isaiah 49, verse 2. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. Again, talking about the Messiah. Isaiah 52, verse 6. Therefore my people will know my name. Therefore, in that day, they will know that it is I who foretold it. Yes, it is I. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace. And Isaiah 59, verse 17. He put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. So what's the point of Paul borrowing and using all, the, all of this, this Old Testament imagery? It's because... As much as he calls us to put these things on, the Messiah has already come and has already accomplished these things. You can place your confidence in that. You can depend on Jesus, the Messiah. And as we hear this familiar imagery in Ephesians 6, we realize that it's the Messiah who's done it all. He's done all the putting on. He's done all the taking up. So we stand with him, be strong in the Lord. And the last item to take up, the sword of the Spirit. 
second half of verse 17, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This one's used for both defense and attack. I think the best example of this is, is Jesus fending, fending off the attacks of the devil in the desert in Matthew chapter 4. Each tempting lie that comes to him, he counters with scripture from Deuteronomy. And I think this should be surprising to us. I mean, I mean this is Jesus, right? The, the maker of the universe, the, the literal word that John tells us in chapter 1. If anyone could come up with a, with a fresh, creative, off-the-cuff rebuttal and burn on the devil, you'd, you'd think he'd do it. But, but he doesn't. He, he models to us words he's already caused to be written, to use the sword of the Spirit, a, a fearsome defensive weapon that lands a blow back on the enemy. I mentioned 2 Timothy 3.16 before. It's up on the screen. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. There is no end to the usefulness of the Bible in your life. How do you plan to, to soak yourself in it? How do you plan to fill up the cup of your life with it again and again? How's your your personal Bible reading plan? Do you ever initiate reading the Bible with a friend? Are you actively engaged and thinking and and inputting in your connect group? If you miss a sermon on a Sunday, do you listen to it or watch it later on in the week? Do you have habits of, of meditating on and memorizing scripture from time to time. We've got to take up the sword of the Spirit and be ready to defend ourselves. And before, before we finish these different pieces of armor, you, you could say there's one final piece, and it's indispensable. The last thing he wants to tell us about is, is, is prayer in verse 18 to tell us to be strong in the Lord by keeping vigilant in prayer. Verse 18, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, and with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, for whenever I speak, words may be given so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So it seems like we've kind of got one more weapon listed here. But it's almost as if it's too important to Paul to risk it getting lost in the metaphor. And so he shifts out of the metaphor. And so I won't try to squish it back in either. If you want to stand firm, if you want to follow Jesus and not walk away, then prayer in your life is indispensable. Is it a habit in your life? Is it a feature and a rhythm in your life? As one of my lecturers once warned, don't get to the end of your life and regret that you didn't pray. Paul tells us uh, the, the, the when, the what, and the who of prayer. He tells us the when in, in all occasions. He tells us the what, all kinds of things, anything and everything. And he tells us the who. It's a small little word there. All 
the Lord's people. Not, not just our church or Christians like us, not just our region, but all over the world. Pray for all the Lord's people. And you notice there's a surprising repetition in Paul's prayer request for himself personally. Did you catch the word? That he might be able to fearlessly declare the gospel for which he is currently in prison because he's been declaring the gospel. Twice he asked them for that. In a conclusion, it's meant to be succinct, at a time in history where ink and paper are at a real premium. He repeats it. This is, this is, and this is Paul. I, mean, I reckon he's probably the most fearless person that you and I have ever heard of. I mean, this is the guy who, who faced angry mobs of people, who faced beatings and prison, who stood before tribunals and councils, who had the power to take his life, and yet he still kept declaring the gospel. And yet, this is also the burning thing on his heart. He needs prayer to be fearless in doing that. And I reckon if he needed prayer to be fearless, then you and I need it too. May we not have a church full of men and women too fearful. Too fearful to teach kids church. Or too fearful to lead Sunday services. Too fearful to lead in prayer. Too fearful to lead a connect group. Too fearful to serve on the board. Too fearful to talk to our work colleagues about Jesus. May that not be us. Let's take Paul's model here and, and add to our, our, our prayer lists and our prayer habits to ask for boldness for ourselves and ask for your church family that we might declare the gospel as we should. So all of this, this armor and these weapons become... The, the mental image that I get is, is like a, a force shield in the life of a believer. I probably get that mental image because I'm a bit of a sci-fi nerd. Um, I, I reckon, hands down, one of the best sci-fi series of all times uh, is Stargate. Have I got any supporters out there? <laughs> is, it, is that a pin dropping over there? Anyway, the spin-off series Stargate Atlantis is about how they find the lost city of Atlantis. I'm, I'm just going to plow on with this, okay? Just, you've got to pay attention. Uh, it turns out that the lost city of Atlantis is technologically advanced. Uh, here's a picture of it. There you go. It's pretty cool. Uh, the reason for the myth of it being underwater is because they originally hid it down the bottom of the ocean with this force shield up that held the water back. And then, uh, anyway, by the time you pick up the series in, in Stargate, they end up rising the city back to the surface uh, of the water. And uh, uh, see, so once, once its shields are raised... It, it's pretty much uh, 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 can in, in uh, what was the word indefinitely keep the attacks of uh, of the enemy space vampires who have another name but I won't go into that now. Um, I'm not I'm not I'm really not helping myself, am I? Um, th this thing would keep them out no matter how many shots they fired at it. Uh, it was limited only. Now that picture could have stayed up a bit longer. That was a cool one. Okay, there we go. All right. Um, it was limited only by its power source. If the power source got depleted or if it got removed, the, the, the shield would come down and they were vulnerable to terrifying attack. 
But if you've got enough power, you're completely safe. And God's grace around us is like a force shield. And it's powered by him. It's powered by him. It's got the power of our infinite maker of the universe backing it. You choose to go outside the shield or, or unplug from the shield, uh, unplug from the power source, and then you're on dangerous ground, exposed to terrifying attack of spiritual evil. And so as Paul concludes Ephesians, he asks us, are you equipped with God's force shield? Okay, that's my paraphrase. Are you equipped with God's force shield? No matter how many schemes or attacks come, the armor holds up. So may we be ready and steady against the very real attacks and schemes of spiritual evil and be ready and steady with, with great confidence in God's love towards you. Wrap yourself in the grace of God at work in your life. Let me pray to this end. Lord God, our conquering king and defender, from now on, may there never be a day where we don't know you as Lord and Saviour. May we stand firm in faith and confidence that your grace is sufficient for us. Please help us to fill up our lives with your grace at work in and through us so that the result would be an impenetrable force shield that we might never be ashamed of your gospel. We pray this in Jesus' victorious name. Amen.